The scripture this evening is from the 14th chapter of Mark. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But even after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough! The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of our Lord. Thank you, Brian. Grace and peace to all of you this Monday, Thursday, wherever you are. Jesus is on a mountain, and he takes with him Peter and James and John, and something happens that leaves them not knowing what to say. If this basic plot line sounds familiar, it's because you've heard it before. 
This year, the last time we heard about Jesus going up a mountain and stupefying these three disciples, it was a month and a half ago on Transfiguration Sunday. You remember that story, right? Jesus begins to shine like the sun. His clothes become astoundingly white. He is joined by Moses and Elijah, these towering figures from Israel's history. And a voice from heaven booms that Jesus is indeed God's son. When we picture God in our mind's eye, I think most of us end up with an image like the transfiguration story. God is glorious, we think. God does logical, defying miracles. God is powerful over nature. God exists outside of creation, in heaven, and every so often breaks in to let us know what's what and remind us who's who. We think, we hope that God is different than us. That God's clothes are bleached white. That they're not stained with the same stuff that stains ours. We look for a God who exists on top. Who transcends our troubles. And who is clean and simple and outside all human drama. Because if God exists on top, then our job is simple. Climb up. Up out of facing the reality of our suffering. Up out of tackling the stubborn injustices we witness. Up out of creation itself, preferring to close our eyes in prayer rather than open them to the confusing existence we all take part in. I think there's a part of each of us that wishes that faith was a simple map with instructions for ascending, a clear set of rules where our life gets easier when we try our hardest to follow them, where we are rewarded for our climbing, by the abating of our pain and sorrow and regret. We want a God who gives us a simple upward path. Alas, Jesus is not that God. We cannot claim the glory of the transfiguration without reckoning with this other mountain scene. Here, We get no transcendent Jesus able to rise above it all. We get a Jesus weighed down by his humanness. The same humanness I live in and you do too. Jesus is disturbed and agitated, it tells us. He becomes so tormented by the grief he carries that he throws his body on the ground He seems so small and helpless as he begs for God to spare him. And there is no booming voice from heaven this time, only silence. 
What do we do when the God we get looks more like us than we want him to? What do we do when the God we get shows up in clothes stained by the same things that stain ours? Because God in Jesus is embarrassingly human. God in Jesus cries and gets annoyed and wants things to be different and becomes angry when people let him down. God in Jesus has a body, a body that tenses up with fear and struggles against exhaustion and throws itself down like a toddler in a tantrum. God in Jesus has a survival drive that wishes, if it is at all possible, to avoid suffering and death. This is not a God who seems like is going to be able to help us. This is not a God who gives us a clear path that we crave, a path that leads us up and out of it all. A God like this should disturb us, offend us even, because a God like this blurs the lines between human and divine things. But somehow, this is precisely how God helps us. For God does not stay at the top. And this is what this day, this is what Maundy Thursday is all about. God's humbleness, God's willingness to be emptied into the stuff of creation to infuse it with divine presence. The God we get refuses to stay put. And in doing so, God interrupts our climb up and out. And that's the grace. Because most of you know that this climb is futile anyway. It never ends. There's never enough you can do to prove that you're good enough and put those voices to bed. And the climb is never successful. Suffering and hardship always find us in the end. But somehow, we delude ourselves over and over into thinking that the climb is worth making until the strange grace of God disrupts our attempts to remove ourselves from the stuff of life. Until the strange grace of God puts us on a different path. For the motion of the God we get is down and in. Down into the troubles of the world, down into our suffering, the unfairness, the confusion, the fear, down into the parts of ourselves we hide, the shame and guilt we carry, the unresolved tensions, and our death-denying survival drive. And in as well, into the labor and rest of each day, into the humdrum routines and the ordinary things we pass by, into creation itself, every cell, every breath, every body, God is there.
Martin Luther had a theological, or theological slogan he'd fire off every now and again. Finitum capax infinitum. The finite contains the infinite. What he meant was that God is not constrained. If God wants, God can choose to be revealed in the ordinary stuff. Common stuff, stuff that God made, stuff that is not God, ungodly stuff. And in Jesus, we see that this is exactly what God wants. God wants to be emptied out of heaven and fill the earth, flowing down and out, touching and illumining every space with love to make the finite things of our lives brim with the infinite presence of God. To make the disappointing, half-baked moments we live through and the incomplete and dull and unfinished stuff we touch become the very means by which God enters our world. Maundy Thursday, it's the day we learn that God is not on top There is no top, actually, or rather, everywhere is the top. And it's confusing. What do you do when there's nowhere left to climb? What do you do when you find you've been at your destination the whole time? What do you do when you realize it's not then, it's now? It's not there, it's here, it's not them, it's you. What do you do when you don't have to do anything? When you hear you are so deeply loved and nothing you can do can increase that love nor remove it. You receive it. That's what you do. You sit there and receive it and rest in it for a moment. And then you let it knock you off your path, turning you from climbing up and out to follow Jesus down and in. And somehow, you are fed by it. Jesus, after all, begins his night at the bottom of the mountain. He shows the finite containing the infinite, taking bread and identifying it with his body taking a cup of wine and saying that with his word, it can and does and will bring forgiveness of sin. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me. In communion, the life of God flows down and in, into these daily elements of bread and wine and into us, filling our bodies making them instruments of God's love in this world. And then we flow down and into the world, strengthened to face the suffering and injustice and fear and all the other things we want to leave behind on our climb. Because in this meal, in Jesus, we know that God longs to feed us along, uh, along the way through ordinary means. That's the path Jesus puts us on.
down and in, ready to be fed by the ordinary things we encounter. Have you seen someone on this path? I have. I think this week, especially about Darnella Frazier and Genevieve Hansen, witnesses at the Chauvin trial this week, they were bystanders who saw conflict and violence and suffering last May. And the human instinct is to flee. The human instinct is to turn away. The human instinct is to avoid risk, to not face conflict with authority and power. The human instinct is to climb up and out, but they went down and in, using their voices, using their bodies to try to interrupt the police violence wrought against George Floyd, shouting, can we provide medical help? Deftly whipping out a cell phone to record so that people could witness and believe. And then this week they went down and in again, choosing to publicly face the trauma they wish they could avoid, all for the sake of justice. I think about me, too, choosing to upend my life as I know it and love it, actually, and am comfortable with it, too, going down and in to the work of leaving and arriving and starting over because I've sussed out that there is a call from God, a call that has been present in the ordinary stuff of my life. And I think about you and the ways you refuse to turn away, holding your loved one's hands as they lay dying, speaking up about your mental illnesses, finding places to connect as parents, to speak the tough truths about raising children, sharing your money to keep people in their housing, staring into the complex and irresolvable things that come with this existence. You're running down the mountain. You're following Jesus. You're finding God's presence in the stuff of the world, and you're being fed by it. You have learned that the way that God is in this world looks less like the transfiguration and more like this, the messy and confusing scene we see on this mountain, the mountain of God's deep embrace of our humanity. Do you know what this mountain is called? The Mount of Olives. Mount Olivet. Our church bears the name of the place where we see God's love in Jesus flow down and out into the world. You bear the name of the messy site where we see that God is so human, it hurts. Your name shows forth a God who makes the finite hold the infinite. Mount Olivet, what a namesake you have. May it interrupt your climb and awaken you to see God in the stuff of this world. May it give you courage to daily face what you'd rather avoid.
And may it be a blessing to you as you follow God down and in. For that is the way that God leads us through. Amen.